This week, our look back and 20 years of motorsport continues on Inside Motorsport. I'll hope you'll stay with us. Chris, last week on the show, we spoke to you about the media and how the motorsport media has changed. Everything changed with Ayrton Senna's death. You talked about it in journalism and uh, reporting, but it changed significantly. Everything, driver safety, and some amazing initiatives have come in since that time. Well, they have, because um, that was a pivotal, pivotal point. I mean, you know, you go back even further than that, back into the 60s and early 70s, and to me that was still actually the golden era of Formula One, but it was incredibly dangerous. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. And a lot of it wasn't, in fact, cars, it was the tracks. Um, and at the end, that's... That's what happened with Ayrton. He had a, had, a, had a concrete wall where these days there'd be a pretty sizable runoff and an air, and an air you know, wall and things like that. Um, but his crash was so public because it was the first F1 death live on television that uh, the impact was massive. And as you say, between uh, Professor Watkins on the medical side uh, and others, the, the safety of the cars... Uh, started to improve rapidly, and most importantly, the tracks, uh, because I think it was the tracks that were, were responsible for a lot of those, um, a lot of those fatalities. And, and look, since since Ayrton's death, which is 20 years in May, uh, there hasn't been an F1 fatality in a race, which is which is quite an achievement. Um, but sometimes, sometimes, I think that Formula One has just gone a little bit too far the other way. Mm. Um, you know, some of these new tracks we've got where the runoff is, you know, asphalt but three or four times wider than the track itself does take away a bit of that edge to it, you know. And, and I mean, look around. The, the biggest Formula One crashes in the last few years have been Mark Webber falling off a push bike and obviously and very sadly more recently Michael Schumacher's skiing accident. Yeah, Formula One is actually incredibly safe now and I wonder whether they've just made it that little bit too safe. Mm. V8 supercars didn't exist 20 years ago when we started talking. In fact, going back through some of the old shows I had, we spent a lot of time talking about a motorsport alliance and the promoters who were running the touring car championship back in those days looking to try and get more control of the premium level motorsport in Australia. Oh yes, I remember that. Look, there were a lot of there were a lot of people who, you know, had a bright idea back then. I mean, uh, I remember the what we have now started in about 1990. Uh, in fact, the last year I had a, you know, my little Bowpears touring car team, and they had an entrance association, and Alan Moffat and Larry Perkins were the kind of ringleaders there, and it it sort of struggled along and struggled along, and you know, there were some issues as there always is when the inmates are running the jail. Um, and, uh, you know, no doubt, love him or hate him, it, it, it all changed when Tony Cochran and his crew got involved and brought some fairly smart ideas and some fairly ruthless ideas to V8 supercar racing. And, um, you know, that's what took it ahead. Um, you know, he was a fairly unique individual and uh, I don't think you'll find anybody that didn't have a fairly hefty clash with him at some point along the way. But... He turned it into a professional show, and um, 
you know, the I suppose the interesting interesting thing now going forward is that he, as part of the the sale of sixty percent of it to the Archer company, uh, he cashed in and left, and so uh, is in fact the person who has actually made a massive killing out of the eight supercars. Uh, the team's got a bit of money, but I think they're starting to think that maybe. It wasn't such a good idea, but uh, you know that's a very interesting situation that, that the V8 supercars finds itself in now. But look, to be honest, the quality of the racing we have, the fact that they have achieved the introduction of three new brands now, um, you know, means that we've actually got a, a national series that's that's the envy of a lot of people around the world. So um, you know, sometimes you can you can you can look around and think the grass is greener, but in a lot of ways, what we've got here is pretty good. It has come at the expense of a lot of other what we now call support classes but certainly over the years they were classes that engendered a lot of interest in motor racing uh, on in their own right and I guess what we uh, perhaps we're going full circle because now under the current management structure they're talking about supporting grassroots and getting road circuits uh, sorry going away from road circuits and really putting their weight behind supporting new permanent facilities. Yes, I mean, I think that's a that, that's a very good thing. I mean, look, at the end of the day, uh, during the Cochrane era, there was no doubt that if you if you took V8 supercars and its support categories to a you know to the middle of cities in, in purpose-built street circuits, you took it to a big audience. But unfortunately, that cost a hell of a lot of money. And if you think back to the you know the towns and cities that thought they could afford to do that, you know, like Hamilton in New Zealand and some of the overseas places they've been. It was horrendously expensive. There's no doubt that racing at proper racing circuits, A, doesn't cost as much, and B, it does have benefits for the rest of motorsports. So I think that's a very, you know, that's a very pleasing development because, as you say, some of the great support categories of the past have struggled. Um, some of them are now currently really only the domain of people who've got a lot of money to be able to do it. And, and one of the hardest things at the moment, I think, is for a young guy coming through to know what to do and where to go. Even Formula Ford is no longer on the national agenda. Um, they've got this new Formula 4, which is, you know, an international FIA idea, but there's, you know, very much split views at the moment as to whether that's going to be a good thing. Mm. Uh, of course, as we look at uh, some of the other things that have happened over 20 years, 20 years ago, you had people like Peter Brock and Dick Johnson, Alan Grice, all starting to race at this place called the Calder Park Thunderdome and touring car racing was on a, a wane where the uh, one super speedway and then a couple of other speedways around the country were starting to really engender a lot of support and get a huge supporter base going. That was a really interesting thing, wasn't it, uh, Thunderdome? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to sit back, take your hat off and say, Bob Jane, that was brilliant. Uh, clearly he was underwriting it for quite a while to the point where it couldn't be sustained. Um, and I don't quite know why, because, uh, you know, I mean, you, I'm sure you were there at plenty of them. Those Saturday night events out at the Thunderdome with NASCAR and Oscar were pretty damn good entertainment, I thought. And uh, I don't know, if, if, if one other, you know, suitably funded individual around the country had perhaps been able to create a similar circuit somewhere, it might have taken off. But... Um, I think the problem was ultimately having encouraged them to do it, the Americans kind of just sort of cut us off and went back to doing their own thing because, you know, they're pretty busy. Uh, and no doubt NASCAR is massive over there. 
um, it was just a, actually a real shame, as you say, that it just quietly came to its end. Um, you know, the dome is still there, looking a bit tatty at the moment. Uh, and Bob's got a few other issues going on in life, but I think I, I'll always remember uh, Bob as being, uh, you know, one of the people who put in. Um, and even in my own personal, uh, here's a little story. When I, not long after I had come out to Australia and I was editor of Auto Action, um, I came out, I brought all my supercar equipment out from England because that's what I used to race and I'd done quite well over there and I tried to organise a series out of out here and you, you may or may not recall but there was a supercar race at the first and second Australian Grand Prix in Adelaide and so on and so on and um, I was bringing about six of the hot shots out from Europe for this one in 1985 and, and with about three weeks to go, someone who was going to sponsor it um, let me down very, very badly and uh, uh, I thought, what am I going to do? These guys have more or less got their stuff, you know, in contain little mini containers on planes on the way here. And uh, I went and um, explained the situation, and, you know, without even batting an eyelid, he said, well, you know, what do you need? And I told him. He said, yeah, we'll do it. So, you know, we had a Bob Jane T-Marts supercar series here in 85, but uh, without his input, I would have been uh, looking very financially shabby. So, um, you know... I think Bob's done a lot along the way. Next week, we'll go from looking backwards to looking forwards when we're joined by Eugenia Rocker, the CEO of the Confederation of Australian Motorsport. I hope you join us then. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.